Hello, I'm Alex Abahmed with Below the Radar, a knowledge democracy podcast. Below the Radar is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, we are joined by Delana Gale Bowen, a longtime musician, arts organizer, activist, and a fixture in Vancouver's downtown east side community. Delana joins Am Joe Hall to talk about her career in music and a legacy of making space for community arts and connection in the neighborhood. I hope you enjoy. Hi there. Welcome to Below the Radar. Really excited to have a longtime collaborator with our office, our friend, mentor, grandmother, <laughs> Delana Gale Bowen. Welcome, Delana. Hi, and thank you. Thank you so much for hosting me. Appreciate it. Delana, you're such a pillar in the neighborhood in terms of all of the things that you do in the neighborhood from community activism to involvement in arts and culture and in so many sort of personal everyday ways here in the neighborhood. I'm wondering if we can just begin by you introducing yourself a little bit. Okay. My name is Lana Gale Bowen. My traditional name is Wimbley MacPiaouia, which means Eagle Sky Woman. I am also Redstone Woman, named by Robert Mahaney, the elder, from Squamish Nation. I am a musician, longtime musician. I've been singing since I was 20, and I am now 75. I have also written a play. And I started an organization in the downtown east side called the Downtown East Side Center for the Arts. And it was a place where people could come unconditionally and participate in arts programs. And we did very well, actually. I retired in January to focus more on my music. So I released a new CD called Looking Back, which is a commentary on the state of the world, if you will. My evolution from a traumatic childhood, which led me to addiction and homelessness, has given me a perspective that includes that experience as well as being well. So I work to share myself to support programs and initiatives that I believe in, and people, and walk compassionately as much as possible. So you recently retired from the Downtown East Side Center for the Arts. Just wondering if you can talk a little about the different types of programming that you were doing in the space. It was a very well-loved and well-used space, and the kind of different activities that you had going on there. Well, It is true that we set a standard because it was a no barrier program. All our programs were no barrier. So you could come in, talk to an elder if you needed to, participate in weaving, quilt making, beading, basket weaving. So a number of various kinds of programs. And I would like to share a story So we created a quilt program where people were invited to come and participate in quilt making. And there was a young woman who was heavy into her addiction. And so it took her three or four weeks just to pick fabric. And she would come periodically, not regularly, because of where she was at in her addiction. 
on the opening night, all the participants were invited, as well as the community. I don't think this would happen anywhere else. There was a woman from North Van, a very wealthy woman, who had been coming to the workshops. And there was this young woman, heavy in her addiction. And when she saw her two squares integrated into the quilt that was hanging in the exhibit, she started crying. And the woman from North Van was sitting in the corner. And so this young woman went and sat beside her and they started talking. And it turns out both their mothers were quilters. And so they had a conversation the whole time of the reception. And the young woman walked out of there and said thank you over and over again because she had made that connection. And I think that that is what art is to me. It is a gentle tool that allows people to connect with themselves. And hopefully the environment is such that there's no expectations or no conditions and they are free to connect with themselves. Yeah. So I love that story because it just symbolizes what it can do, you know. A long time ago, I remember going to the Fire Hall Art Center. I believe it was around 2007, but I'm getting older too, so the years kind of blur together, <laughs> but I believe it was the time when Maloon Katari, the former UN housing repertoire, was here, and oh, yes. he met you at one of the public hearings, and he visited a few protests, and uh, you invited him to come, and, and he had a really busy schedule. I was sort of being his local contact as he traveled him out with groups and said, I really, really want to go to that. And so he came there and I was in the audience as well. And I know that that project is being reprised today at the Heart of the City Festival. But wondering if you can talk a little bit about that as an example of one of the arts projects mm -hmm. you've been involved with. Yes. So this is my play called The Returning Journey. It is my personal journey story of my traumatic childhood moving into a midpoint of my life into addiction and homelessness. And the reason that it's so relevant with the Heart of the City Festival is when Vancouver Moving Theatre first started, they started with the community play. And they had heard that I was a singer and invited me. And at that time, I was heavy in my addiction and not singing very much. Anyway, they invited me to audition for a part and I got it. And I think the play ran for five days or something like that. And so I had to pay attention. <laughs> and I also had to be cognizant that other people were depending on me for my part in the play because there was a huge cast. After the play was over, it was apparent to me that I couldn't live that way anymore. And I wanted to get out of my addiction. It may work for some people, but I don't believe in rehab. It really has to come from you, that healing journey. And so I just went on this thing where I didn't do any drugs, prayed and prayed and prayed. 
and I had a stroke, a major stroke, and was in the hospital. Of course, I didn't have a phone at home, so I couldn't call an ambulance. I finally got the strength after three days to get up out of the bed and crawled to the women's center because I was only a block away and they called an ambulance and then I slipped into a coma. Anyway, after that, I started writing poems. I used to write poems when I was very young because again, art is an outlet for your experience, whatever that may be. And some of the poems turned into songs. And I had, you know, really connected with Carrie and Savannah. And I told them about this play that I was exploring, the story that I was exploring. Anyway, so they said, go to Donna Spencer at the fire hall. And so I did. And she was all excited, which was much of a surprise to me. But it... You know, it's raw and it doesn't hide the pain and what you go through when you're living in the addiction. So we ran for, I think, 10 days or something like that. And we did it, you know. So I was very honored that Terry and Savannah asked me to revive it for this year's festival because the theme is what gives us strength. And so I was very honored about that. And it shows tonight at seven o'clock. So if you go to the In the Heart of the City Festival website, you can click onto it. And the play is first. And then I do a music performance with my band after that. Yeah. Now you've continued to do a number of music projects. I know you were doing something related to East Van Morrison, I think it was called. You guys did a wonderful performance at Woodward's. You're performing at various blues venues in the city when there's not a pandemic. I'm wondering if you can talk <laughs> a little bit about how your music has evolved in the past few years and the types of collaborations that you're involved with. Interesting question. I think that music reflects where you are on your journey. The music that we as individuals create reflect where we are on a journey. And so at this time in my life, I'm content. And so it allows me to share my perspective about external things rather than internal things. And, you know, Lord knows we need all the help we can get right now with everything, with the environment, with the racism. And I feel like there are some of us that are messengers for the causes that we believe in. And it is true that, you know, there is an awakening in the world, in the population of people from different cultures and people who had mindsets that might have been, let's say, judgmental or unkind, let's say. And that's why I think the synchronicity of COVID, although I wouldn't wish COVID on any, I'm not saying that it's a good thing, but it is a necessary thing at this time for all of us to really check ourselves and what do we believe in? What do we stand for? Who are we in relation to Mother Earth and how we walk? And 
how are our relationships with other people? Do they come from a place of compassion and kindness or are they judgmental and attitudinal? Because if we don't work together, we're really in trouble, you know? So yeah, look ahead is a lot about the environment. I do a song called What the Hell Is That? It's about the pimping of music <laughs> in, in relation to, you know, when the first time I heard an advertisement and it used one of the anthems from back in the 60s, I was shocked, you know, but now it's commonplace. But that's not what those anthems were for. So it's kind of ironic. <laughs> what got you into, say, Van Morrison and other music that you play? Oh, you mean the styles that I like? Um, I just like good music. Duke Ellington said that there's only good and bad music. It's not by category. You don't separate it into country or jazz or whatever. It's either good or it's not good. So that's kind of my approach to music. I like all kinds of music. I didn't appreciate country until I really listened to it when I was in my addiction, ironically, because there's a lot of heart there, you know. Now, you've yeah. been an activist for a long time in the neighborhood. You're marching every year during the Women's Memorial March. You've done a lot of work with your circle of grandmothers and wondering if you can talk a little bit about the community work you're involved with now and kind of how you see some of the challenges that relate to particularly this pandemic context, which has really created a new crisis on top of earlier crises yeah. Yeah. that were already here. Oh, boy, that's a big one. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I want to say that people that have experienced trauma of any kind as a child growing up will ideally, a lot of them eventually do. You can't help but care. You can't help but care. So, I mean, I remember marching against anti-apartheid way, way back when. And I was, you know, in the early, late, mid-70s, 80s, 90s, I was very active in the music community here, which was flourishing. It was very, very good. Lots of clubs, you know, six clubs in four blocks in Gastown, for example, and all that sort of thing. The first event that I was ever involved in was a show called Ladies in Lights at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. And it was a benefit for the Lions Club. And we raised a lot of money and I got introduced to nonprofit societies, etc. And it struck me that I had met with a number of people to talk about, well, just what the concept was. And nonprofits were created to be an alternative to the lack of government policy. And so I went, I'm in, right? So I went to Simon Fraser and took nonprofit management and learned about 
the policies and or lack of in communities. Because even back then, there was starting to be a desperate separation between those who have and those who have not. So eventually, after I graduated from SFU, I went, worked for the food bank for a number of years as director of development, worked with the National Film Board, coordinating the Invisible Colors Women in Film Festival, things like that. So my perspective on nonprofits is I don't agree with corporate nonprofits. And that's what a lot of nonprofits have become. There was never the idea that an executive director would make $300,000 a year when the money should be going to the programs. And the lack of monitoring, I mean, I've written the government many, many times when I left the Vancouver Food Bank to say there should be guidelines about salaries, you know, all those things that make up a nonprofit, but there never was. And so we have extreme situations where nonprofits have a million dollars in salaries a year. And it just appalls me. And not that it's not hard work. You know, I know how hard it is. But that wasn't the point of creating the nonprofit sector. The other thing is that, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Mulroney, but when he canceled the cooperative housing, I think it was, what it did was eradicate housing for people who don't make those high salaries. And so this is the consequence. We have all this lack of housing now. And so it's really, it makes me very sad. I mean, now there's everybody from young people to seniors on the street. Delana, you've encountered so many interesting collaborators and leaders in your time. I can remember just a few years ago where you did a really interesting conversation with Jermaine Tremel, who had spent... Harry Tremel, yeah. ...from Standing Rock. You had mentioned mm-hmm. a few times wanting to do an event with Jack O'Dell, which we weren't able to do during the Heart of the City Festival, but there was a queening of his film that happened at SFU at the World Arts Center. I mean, he's such a giant of a man. I think he passed away yes. uh, maybe three, four, five months after that screening, but so articulate, so plain spoken with his language in terms of somebody who yes. came out of social justice movements and in his 90s could still stand in a room and fill the room. Oh. Such and solidarity. And I'm wondering if you can speak about Jerry Trammell, Jack O'Dell, and and others that you've encountered along the way in your own journey. Well, the first thing I would say is what a privilege to have met and talked and learned from these people who were leaders, true leaders, you know. The other thing that I would say is You know, when I wrote somebody this morning who the couple of the men who had been sent to jail from the tiny house warriors and their kind of discouragement now, those people in a time 
way before there was people that followed and or agreed with their thinking and their actions were committed to make a difference and be examples of possibilities. And so the actions that they took at that time, I mean, Jerry Tremel did amazing work as a lawyer fighting for indigenous rights all over the States when that country, you know, uh, well, I won't get all negative, but, <laughs> but that country even acknowledging indigenous rights is a major challenge. And so it always inspires me when I see people who take a stand because they have the belief in what is right and think it's important to stand up for what is right. And the other thing is, you know, I call this the time of the awakening as well, because people are becoming aware of injustices around the world. It's not just here in North America. It's everywhere that it's happening. So the awakening is changing people's concept of compassionate rights and making a dutiful effort to get behind those beliefs and walk that way, you know? And it's really important because, I mean, Look, colonialism, oppressive colonialism has been here for centuries and it's deeply ingrained in every system. But that system is cracking now. And the more people that live what they believe, it will make a difference so that the next two generations will be able to stand on that, you know? Delano, we're literally a few days away from the American election as we're recording this. This episode will come out after uh, it's out. But there's obviously when you have the kind of racism and populism that's been unleashed under the American president, it's also caused a rupture of all of the issues that exist here because it's not just an American thing. There is racism here as well. There are significant problems with policing, particularly with Black and Indigenous communities. And you see the eruption in the summer with Black Lives Matter, like protests over 10,000 people, just amazing organizing of young people. And also lots of great organizing going on with Hogan's Alley. And as someone doing a lot of work in the Black community for a long time, how do you read the current political moment from your experience and time in these issues and communities? Well, I mean, on the one hand, I say it's about time that this was exposed. And quite frankly, I think that was Trump's purpose, his sole purpose, mind you, but his purpose is to expose how deeply the racism issue goes not only in the United States, but in Canada, just because it's not talked about as much here, although now it is, but for years, it wasn't a thing that was discussed because people got by. 
however, this is the time for this. And this coincides with COVID as well, because those things, and, you know, as much as I hate technology and because I'm, <laughs> I have a difficult time because of my age and my three strokes in my cognitive area, the technology has been a gift for us. So all these things that are coming together at this time serve the purpose of moving us forward in challenging the status quo, in challenging the way we think about each other in our relationship to Mother Earth, and also challenging ourselves to be better. We're in stroke solidarity, Delana, because I had my stroke two years ago just prior to brain surgery, and I really appreciate you dropping by to uh, check on me over at 312 Main and telling me to slow down. <laughs> We're driven. What can we say? <laughs> I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share any uh, music with us. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, this is a song called The Heart Knows, and I'm not going to play my drum because. I'm just getting over bronchitis. I understand how you're feeling. Everyone has had their day where nothing makes sense and you want to run away. All oh, that I can tell you all that I can say. Listen to your heart. Your heart will guide you on your way. And you'll hear the leaves fall as the wind blows. Feel your heart smile. Your heart knows where you've been. Your heart knows where you've been. People, they give advice. They'll sometimes tell you what to do. No one knows how you're feeling. No one knows but you. And all that I can tell you, all that I can say, Listen to your heart, your heart will guide you on the way, and you hear the leaves fall, the wind blow, feel your heart smile, your heart knows where you've been, your heart knows where you've been, life is full of ups and downs, full of joy, full of pain. We slip, we fall, we fall, we rise to begin another day. We have to crawl sometimes. We have to hurt to break free. Of all of these illusions that bind us to this make 
believe and all that I can tell you, all that I can say, listen to your heart, your heart will guide you on your way and you hear the leaves fall as the wind blows for your heart smile your heart knows where you've been your heart knows where you've been there you go wow delana <laughs> thank you yes so much for joining us on Below the Radar. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, dear. Below the Radar is a Knowledge Democracy podcast produced by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. Thank you for tuning in to hear our conversation with Delana Gale Bowen. Check the episode notes for links to her work. Subscribe to Below the Radar in your podcast app of choice to never miss an episode. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Below the Radar. Mm-hmm.